Hey, welcome back to the Records and Riffs podcast. I'm your host, Matt Norlander. If you are not already subscribed and would be willing to do so, and you like this kind of interview, the best way you can say thank you is to search Records and Riffs in iTunes, rate it, review it, and please subscribe. I look forward to reviving this podcast and getting a lot of episodes going and continuing this with alacrity going forward. I have some thoughts about the record and my interview with Lily White. That's tagged at the end of this episode, but let's get right to it. Part two, Steve Lily White talking about Before These Crowded Streets. Let's go into the songs here. So, uh, Ponce La Naga Pampa kicks off the album. It's such a natural opener. In fact, I was trying to think like, the only other song that I th- I wonder how much you guys might or might not have wrestled at all with uh, with Trackless Order here, but the only other song I think that would have possibly worked for an opener is maybe Stay. I just don't think anything else would have applied here, but the way that Ponce Lanaga Pampa goes into Rapunzel yeah. is so natural. Was this uh, almost a no-brainer? Like, oh, you guys wrote that? That was supposed to be a, maybe a commercial type thing. It clearly works as its own song yeah, and we, flows we, we, into it. Well, it's, you know, I, I remember thinking that could be just a great song. It was just so short. And, and I loved it. I, I did all the, 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 I do the sequencing on their albums, you know. Um, it's pretty much, you know, my, my choice. And, um, now stay would have been an an opener, but it would have been a misleading opener. Now stay needed to be in the misleading because it was, it was too light. It, It needed to be put further in the album to just to, to, to bring you up a little bit. I don't disagree with that whatsoever. Uh, you know, in that way, um, one, two, three. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So you 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 have you know you have Rapunzel, Last Stop, and Don't Drink the Water, and the and the commercials before you get to stay. So it was, um, yeah. But 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 no, I, I think it's great. It's uh, and th- and then the way it, it crossfades into Rapunzel, and of course, what you get then for the very first time on um, on a DMB album, you hear electric guitar. That's the first time on any of my DMB albums do you hear Tim Reynolds play. That's, you know, you hear that riff played on the on the Fender, you know, and it's um, and again, it's not a distorted electric guitar. It's it's just a, a, a nice, clean electric tone that he used. But uh, but, you know, for, for me, that's when you go, OK, there's something going on here. You know, this is. A step. This is a different sonic that DMB have utilized straight off out off the bat. There's no doubt about it, and the electric guitar brings a lot to that track. And even it's interesting because it's it's got that five four rhythm in the verse, and and the band is 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 in beat, and then you got the snare kind of holding it down. Um, oh, on, on the it's, it's such a complex it's a complex rhythm. I mean, it's it's. Um, I remember, you know, because I'm just a fucking white boy who claps on one and three, you know, um, and and I, it always uh, it always flummoxed me that that song trying to keep. It's just just so much fun to listen to. It you know. is. As I say, it was even more fun when it was about my worms. Yes, there's um, no doubt about it. Okay, so the uh, I want to know how many takes, if you remember, it might have taken to uh, for Leroy's solo here, because it. That's just eye-opening and ear-popping. How awesome that soprano sax solo is! Do you do you remember if that would have been something that was uh, that maybe took seven or eight that you or him wanted to get right, or was that kind of kind of taken care of early on in the process? There? What 
by the point of this album, by this by this point in our relationship, they completely trusted me to to compile the best parts of their soloing. You know, so I would get Leroy to do three or four and then he would leave the room and then I would sit down and I would go through each bar and I would, you know, I would make it flow. I mean, sometimes I would use one solo if, if he was in very good form. I can't remember on this song, but very much, you know, I was sewing together a lot of things to make it, you know. I mean, the, the, the sewing together happened a lot more with Boyd than it did with Roy. But, right. you know, um, but, you know, but sometimes, you know, I, I have a good ear for, for hooks, you know, and sometimes Roy would. I mean, I'm jumping song here, but um, Roy would do one little little riff and then just as part of his jamming. And for instance, on stay, that was just part of one little part of his jamming. And I said, Roy, that's a hook. Let's build that and make it, you know, and make it the hook of the song. So that, you know, so I would guide him. Because, he, you know, he comes from jazz. He doesn't really understand about, you know, hooks and multi-tracking a hook and, and, and all that thing. I mean, now the uh, trumpet player is, is so great at doing all that. But, um, but, but, you know, in those days, Roy was just a soloer. Right. You know, um, my, you know uh, Roy and Boyd were, you know, were just sort of jamming. Unless I'm mistaken, I think you've got... You've got Carter or someone blowing on a whistle, but not just that. Are there? Are there? Is there a whistle with two different tones? And didn't you do this in another tune? Was it on Monkey? Proudest Monkey on Crash? Didn't you employ the whistle tactic before? Or am I misremembering that? Uh, I, I mean, but uh, I can't remember if there, there's no whistle on 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 Rapunzel, is there? Oh, I'm almost positive I, there's a whistle. I'm almost positive I hear one. Maybe I'm going out of my mind, but I am... No, 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 no. I mean, I, I you know, Roy had the whistle, and you see, that this is what would happen. I, pretty much, they would all play through the song all the way. And then they would leave it to me to find, like, 10 seconds of that take that would then be a... a uh, a featured part at one part of the song, you know, so yeah. if there was whistle, he probably play, I said, do a whistle track all the way through and just let me, and I'll find one, <laughs> one or two little pieces, you know, and I would just then mix those into the track sort of subliminally. And I would just piece together this. And so it's, it's a mixture between sewing a quilt and doing a jigsaw, you know, um, but that's why I it makes it like, so fun to listen back to it, Steve, is because I probably didn't hear. Uh, I'm almost positive there's a whistle on it, and I didn't hear it the first 79 times I heard the song, and then <laughs> pops out at you. Okay, so I there know you know. don't know the answers to some of these, but I sent you them before the podcast. So maybe you have the answers on this ones, maybe you don't. But what is what did you do right when the song ends? You've got this swampy wow wow like what is right. that sound and how did you produce that and what even goes into thinking like i'm gonna put this at the end of uh a crazy okay chaos i'll tell you exactly i remember this this was the days of the early days of the of the cell phone and roy never went anywhere without his cell phone and um and his cell phone just by pure 
coincidence rung at the end of the take of Rapunzel. And Roy answered it and said, hey, Greg, I think it was, uh, I'm not sure which Greg it was, maybe the... the the, Greg the, Howard. The, the stick. Yeah, Chapman stick guy. Greg yeah. Howard, yeah, the stick player. Um, maybe it was Greg Howard, possibly it was actually, uh, saying, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they were chatting. And that was it. And I, you know, I love capturing these moments. And then I went, oh, my God, that sounds sort of cool. But it's very, you know, it's very, it's very open. We need another sound. So I got ice and, it, and, and the, the gluggy sound, Stefan. It's he was practicing with all these different delays and things like that on the bass. And I said, Stefan, you know, get a really like lurching type sound or, you know. So we did that. We worked on that sound and we put that underneath. to. to... OK. And then you've got these other voices like kind of screaming, like talking loudly, like underneath that as well. Like, is that just random Stuff that the like tape you would have captured when people were talking yeah, in the studio, that could basically. Have, yeah, that could. You know, I've, I'm always doing that. Always from, from yes. the table, from the ping pong on on lie in our graves. Uh, but this, I think, could well have been just. You know, after the track finished, they were just talking. It, it was Dave and Tim, like going, <laughs> you know, being crazy to each other, uh, and the tape was still rolling. And that was when Leroy's phone rang. And I just made it more mysterious by putting that bass on. And, and, you know, when you mix things very quietly, it's, uh, you know, mixing can give can give obviously different impressions and different different sort of tones to how you perceive the, the situation. That's awesome. OK, so the song ends and it just slams you into the last stop. Now, I want to know what you thought of this song if you can remember it, when basically they started laying it down because they had a song that was similar to this that they didn't actually record with you, but they did remember two things called Minarets. But this one is yes. so much more aggressive. And I just remember listening to this record and being like, what the hell am I listening to right now? And I loved it. I, I just absolutely loved it. Um, the decision to put that right after Rapunzel and kind of just, just throw it in your face so abruptly when the Rapunzel track ends what do you remember about uh, the production on this one? Yeah, well, it was for, for me, it was a great moment because, um, you know, when you've got a band with a sax and a violin, one of the musical motifs you can you can you can explore is a sort of Middle Eastern uh, flavor, you know. And and I'm surprised, actually, they've only done minarets and 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 last stop because, you know, it's a it's a it's quite a good little influence you can use. Uh, especially when you you add in some progressive rock as well. Um, my my one comment about that song is just just too much singing. I mean, maybe if I'm questioning anything on the album, I should have, you know, I should have said today, you don't need to sing throughout everything. You know, let the music, you know, just stop singing for a while. <laughs> it's like he was having to write verses for every single part. You know. Um, yeah. uh, that, that, but that's a small, you know, I mean, the, the, the singing was great. I mean, he was, his singing on this album is very manly and a lot more um, confident than it was on this sort of the certainly under the table and dreaming. It was he was singing like that, whereas, you know, he's a he's a man on this album. That's, um, yeah. And, you know, Last Stop and Halloween really show that that style of his vocal. Uh, but no, it, it's, you know. It, it works out very well. I'm, I'm, you know, 
Uh, you also did a lot uh, of layering on this track, Steve, with with Leroy, um, particularly on the uh, on the outro. Um, it sounds like at one point it sounds like there might be three or four sax cuts going on at once, and yeah. it's uh, and it's just like it's almost like. Uh, the city's being pulled out of the earth and lifted into the air the way that you make the, this track kind of really just go to another level once Dave is, is basically done singing. Uh, yeah. and you kind of Well, exactly. You know, thank, thank goodness he stopped singing. No, I'm joking. Um, but look, th this is probably, you know, this is what I would do is that R Roy did four takes of, of the sax and I would use one during the song, but then I would try and mix in all of them to make the, you know, it, it's, it's an old trick. It's a day in the life, isn't it? That's um, sure. There's, it's 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 not like we were reinventing the wheel, but it's a it's a pretty good version of Day in the Life, especially as it doesn't hit the big note. It just sort of goes into this other lovely drifty thing right at the very end. Um, but all of that is mixing. All of that was done in the mixing. You know, I, I was as creative in the mixing as they were in the playing of the recording. Interesting. How did you and mix that, them? You know, all of that was 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 not played like that. That was all mixed like that. I, I did want to ask you about how you transitioned. Basically, like you you almost pull a rabbit out of your hat here on this on this tune, Steve. In that it it's this loud, chaotic day in the life kind of deal, and then within the process of seven or eight seconds, it so naturally sweeps across to this banjo-driven kind of lilting fade-out kind of deal um, that, honestly, this is... You've got a lot of highlights from the production value on this record, Steve, but that, that what you yeah. pull off near the end at last stop, I just... Uh, I'm really intrigued by that and was uh, wondering if you could... Yeah, well, I, actually, when I was listening, one of my... One of my <laughs> because I can't remember... What, you know, it, it was like hearing a new album for me. And I and I actually wrote down banjo question mark during the song because I thought, oh, this banjo doesn't sound. It's weird having a banjo during the song. Um, but then, of course, so maybe if I was to re-look at it, I might not have had the banjo until the end. And that may have even made it even more like, wow, banjo coming in just at the end. But, you know. That was a that's a my and it might have opened up a little bit more space for the for the actual band. I don't know. But no, the, the, the banjo is perfect at the end. But my question, actually, I would question whether the banjo sounds that good in the song. You know, I'm, I'm not sure whether the banjo is that needed in the song. I think it is. Unlike I, yeah. in, say, unlike in Don't Drink the Water, which the banjo is, you know, in, in, in you know, really a major part of that song. But um, but, you know, that's just my. You know, when I look back and I, you know, that that's part of my uh, uh, uncertainty now. You know, I go, oh, maybe that shouldn't have been there. Oh, my God. You know? Yeah, no, I just love that transition. You go from the fire of yeah. hell to almost like this open field with the sunshine. It's 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 just. Uh... Oh, absolutely. That's that's how I'm I'm always trying to, to paint. You know, th th this is actually why I'm thinking I was thinking maybe I'm not going to be any good without weed because weed would all. Weed would always help me get to that place. Um, whereas, you know, but but actually, I didn't need the weed. That was the great thing about it, you know. And and I, and I absolutely loved being. And I still do love being sober. I love the fact that I don't need to have all that stuff. I I love it about you too. Um, all right, <laughs> <laughs> don't drink the water. All right, so um, it's 
couple things with this. One, it's, it winds up being the lead single off the record, which uh, was a bold and daring move, and I, I presume that's all record company stuff that makes that decision. But what's interesting... Yes, but, yeah. Uh, but, Steve, they're coming off of Crash, and the final single off of that album was Tripping Billy's. So to go from to go from Billy's to Don't Drink the Water is such a is such a stark move, and I actually always, I always love that about that. But, and we can talk about that if you'd like, but my more direct question is this... Um, I went back and watched the MTV special, the ultrasound special about uh, yeah. where, where the cameras were with you in New York during a lot of the overdubbing. But during that process, and I think you've spoken to this before, this was, I don't know if it was the most challenging song. And if it's not, I'd love to hear what was more challenging. But um, yeah. the band has spoken about how it was just, it kicked their ass. It was a challenging song, which is intriguing to me for one reason, in that from a chord perspective, it's actually one of the most simple songs on the record. So I've always been fascinated by the fact that this song, which is fairly straight ahead, or at least it winds up being that way, was so frustrating for the band. So can you take listeners back into the process of yeah. how this song started versus how it ended and any sort of bumpy road and patches that the band hit along the well, way? Well, you know, you, you, you can argue that, that if a song has a a lot of intricate sort of progressive rock rock parts you don't you 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 know you you're so you're so involved in in getting your part right that 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 um that maybe something so simple is actually the opposite for DMB because the simpleness means that they have to keep it simple but also make it work you know that's the thing and and no you're right we we just tried so much and it you know and 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 funnily enough i'll tell you the story that i used to tell and i'll give you my opinion now actually and 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 the story that we used to say was that and this is the true story is that that at the end of the night everyone was in a bad mood and like oh my god we don't have this song it's uh, it's it is kicking our asses and I got to the studio early the next morning because, you know, I was not drinking and that. And I and I and I put the song up and I went and I started listening to it. Oh, my God, there's something happening here. You know, all that anger and all that sort of tension. Actually, it's working pretty well. You know, I, I you know, I'm I'm, I'm going to fight for this version with the band because, um you know, I, I I would have to convince them that it was that that we'd got it, you know, and and they, to be honest, they they were hoping that we'd got it, or they were hoping that I would give it the green light so they wouldn't have to have it kick their asses again, like we all wanted it, you know, but but we really the night before we thought, oh, we've got to do it again. So the fact that I came in and I listened to the last one and I went, oh my god, I think we've got it. That's the story, and that that is actually the fact, and that's the version that we did. But funnily enough, when I listened to it yesterday, I went, maybe it could have been a little bit better. <laughs> Having said that, you know, I'm listening back to it now, going, it's okay. It's just a little bit, um, you, you know, the word stodgy. Yeah, a little bit, just a, a, a tiny bit stodgy. Maybe it was just a little slow. But 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 actually, the the, the groove is. Is really like treacle, you know. It's 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 a you know it's not a free groove at all. It's this 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 treacle, like you're you're moving, trying to move the spoon around the treacle. Uh, That's how I would 
yeah. just, just that, that probably makes no sense. No, it does. It's, um, it's it's got a it's got a uh, it's it's trudges. The song's trudges. It it you know it, it trudges. It, yeah, and I <laughs> now I'm not sure. I, I, and, and the reason why I think maybe I I gave it the green light was the bass, the bass on that, the bass and the uh, more than the drums actually, but, the, but it's the yeah. way the bass is just, I mean it's driving it, but it's not driving, it's holding it, right? You know, and and it's yeah. uh, you know Stefan was just, I mean we, 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 I, I, we've got to give Stefan credit for the whole of DMB's career because he was so young going into this band and and his bass lines are just you know a breathtaking i mean just um i mean it takes it takes a great band takes many you know takes all members to have their part i get that but um you know i think when bass players are mentioned i mean i i you know i he's he's way up there for me he is the man there is no question and 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 he's still a teenager, as far as I remember. No, he's probably a bit, he's probably a bit older he's, than he's, that now. He's, but, yes, um, I, I believe he is now finally getting up to around the uh, the forty year old mark if he hasn't eclipsed it already. But oh you know what's what's interesting? I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Stefan because um, this album has a lot of highlights with him, and, and we are still to get to them. But yeah, he's got a, a driving raw baseline here, but his ability to it's not hang in the pocket. It's it's to walk in lockstep with Carter in the pocket for as talented and uh, and uh, flamboyant of a player as Carter is. It, it's just it, it is remarkable the way that they have and they had it early on. That's so much of why the band was good. Oh. I mean, but like they just there was obviously a chemistry there um, that I still don't think they get enough credit for just how impressive of a rhythm section they are. Because I also think, Steve, that if you played with a player like Carter for so long, who's so good as a bass player and surrounded by a very energetic, outgoing, charismatic frontman and a really just totally showmanship violin player and then a super impressive sax guy, you would have this... <coughs> you know, urgency to maybe want to just flare it up on the bass. And he can do that, but he has never kind of stepped out of his lane in that way. And that's been sort of a, a core central uh, oh, well, element bass, to DMB sound. Is, yeah. Well, bass is all about taste. You know, it's, it's, it's you know, taste transcends anything else on the bass. You know, chops are good, but the taste of what you play is far more important on a bass than anything else. And, and given the fact that he was 17 on, you know, at the beginning, uh, playing with a drummer who was 20 years older than him, it's really, you know, uh, it, it's quite amazing that he had confidence, but he was not arrogant. You know, it was that great, you know, um, he, 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 he just thinks and is bass. That, that's the thing. And, and, and certainly on, on before these crowded streets, he was experimenting with these different sounds as well. You know, it was uh, he was just getting into his pedals and into all this stuff. So it was um, no, it was it was oh, I was just just a joy to work with Stefan. You know, he was uh, all through, you know, yeah. not that we were ever really that close, but but he always delivered. Fantastic man. Let's talk about um, a daring uh, experiment that pays off in a huge way on this song, and that is that you get Alanis Morissette in the studio. Um, I don't even know if you remember how that came to be. I don't. I don't even know the story with that and how she even winds up being on the record. And then I know she sings on Spoon as well, and we'll get to Spoon in a second here. But um, 
you opt to give her a very, very slight, light harmony on the bridges, <sighs> and then she comes in like vintage Alanis on uh, on what is essentially, I guess, the chorus of the song. Um, can you speak to her? Yeah, but but I, I, I personally, I, when I was listening to it, I, I would be perfectly, um, it would be perfectly okay to say she's not even on the record. I mean, I, I did not mix her very loud, and I apologize to her for that. I think she should have been louder. Um, it, it, it's, you know, you think, oh, Alanis Morissette on a Dave Matthews record. Wow. But when you listen to it, you go, really? I can't hear her. I, 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 you know, I, maybe you hear her on the fifth listen, you know, but it's not, you know, it's, it, it's, I used her on that song a bit like I would mix Boyd, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like mix her as a, as an atmospheric rather than as a, as a, as a lead voice, you know, like for instance, on stay, when the, 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 the girl does her scat bit, that's like, you really hear that. But when Alanis does it in don't drink the water, you don't really, you know, I, I, I feel that in retrospect now, when I hear it, I could have, I could have made better use of that. Potentially, but I also think she, the way that you use her, if I might defend your own decisions against you, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I feel as though the way that she is mixed in actually adds because the the contrast of "Don't Drink the Water" and why I think it really is one of your more elite studio cuts of of anything you've done with DMB is it has an airiness and then it has a dirtiness to it. There is a weird contrast going on there that somehow really really works. Like it's a driving song with a great rhythm, and yet Carter's drums aren't as loud on this one as they are on so many other records. And maybe that's because a lot of it's driven by the kick. I don't know. And so with the way yeah. the way that you mix Alanis in there, you've got Dave kind of really going guttural there, and she is she is there, but yeah, she's a stage or two removed. I always thought that was mixed pretty well, personally. Well, I yeah, I mean, I, I presume, you know, I do everything for a reason at the time of doing it. So probably the reason that I did it like I did it was because I tried other ways of mixing it. And this was the way it sounded best. Yes. You know, what in 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 defending my decision at the time, I can't remember my decisions from then, you know, it was 20 years ago, but but I, I, I know my system of working and my system of working is, is look, how do I fit this in and make it not sound bad <laughs> rather than making it sound good? It's how do I make it not sound bad? <laughs> oh, man, something that, about that mentality, though, that's why you can often lead to uh, some really good results, even if it's uh, even if it's fear based. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, fear, everything is fear based in my my life. You know, oh, my God. Um, so anyway, yeah. <laughs> let's let's go on. Let's go on to the happy song, Steve. Let's get on to stay. Oh, the happy song. The, right. happy song, the, the lovely way. The, okay, so um, I mentioned that I thought you know the only other song that could have started the album was "Stay" as opposed to "Rapunzel." But really, to uh, take away from my own argument, I think the song's placement on this album is absolutely pivotal because uh, you're coming off of it's it's sandwiched between "Don't Drink the Water" and "Halloween," of course, and it is uh, yeah. it is just uh, just enough uh, positivity and optimism to kind of keep you going there, you know, from the perspective of, of, of a first-time listener or someone who's just taking in the album. Um, but this is this is the one song on the record that when you listen to it, it's clearly like, okay, that's, you know, that would have fit in on the first two albums overall. But it winds up being pretty, pretty essential to the overall album. Would you agree? Yes. I, you know, and I think I've been, I've been uh, uh, quoted in the print that I, think 
you know, one of my worst decisions was to put the lovely ladies on. You know, All right, let's get um, into this. Hold on, let's get it, but let's let's try and touch on new ground with this then, okay? Because this is an interesting. Let's let's really devote a couple minutes to this decision, okay? Because because uh, <laughs> right. I actually okay. I don't think that that was a bad choice, personally. I think they actually work well with what you were going with here. Um, I think the outro of the song, the, my only criticism of this entire album, like legitimate criticism, is I think the song's probably about 30 to 40 seconds too long. Uh, it's just the outro. It's too long, yeah. Yeah, that's the only thing that I, if, if you could take one thing away from the album, I think it's just uh, this song in particular is a little too long. But I don't think that including them was the wrong move. Was it your idea? Like, did you know of, of as what they refer to, obviously, as the lovely ladies, did you know of them before the album process or did someone else introduce <sighs> you to them? Do you remember how this all you came know, about? You know, I can't remember. I do... I, I, I remember thinking it was my idea to put girl backing vocals on it. Um, did you do it because of, like, maybe, like, you wanted to have a little bit of Dark Side, Floyd had a little bit of that as well, and the album was kind of... No, okay. I, it, it wasn't. It was like, well, okay, this is the the, 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 the happy song. Let's let's um, let's put some girls on, because we, we'd never done that. You know, it was, it was like, you know, we had the list of things we wanted to use. Well, no, 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 not a list of things we wanted to use, but, but let, it was like, well, what haven't we done before? Oh, we haven't done girl backing vocals well let's let's look at what song and let's see and it was like well stay sounds like the one and i i, I think this was the you know again this is this was a decision i pretty much was you know i was the captain of the ship and um and 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 obviously if if the band didn't like it then we wouldn't use it but it was one of those things that i said look let's let's try the girls now i don't know how how we got hold of them maybe it was the you know we asked the record company or i don't know mm -hmm. do, do you know how i do not know i've, we, I've always we chose those no um well and then you may or may not let's uh let's get into a little bit of the fan territory here but you may or may not be aware of this but um because they were included on this album they wound up uh spending a few tours with the band and then they came back That's a couple right, of years yes. ago so um, for for better or for worse, and the fan base I think is split on this, but uh, their inclusion at a given show grew to be um, a, a point of lament for a lot of fans because it knew, they knew that it was basically a guarantee that Stay was going to close out the set. And if there's one thing DMB fans really hate is predictability with the set list. So so the, <laughs> so this uh, this inclusion um, brought much strife to the uh, to the mentality of the DMB fan going forward but that's you know it's one thing from the fan side of it and another thing from the band and producer side of it but um, but I, I think that they were the right call I think they're probably mixed I have little notes from each song as I re-listen to the record and I one of my notes here reads maybe the ladies are mixed just a little bit too high um, and that the yes. ending is maybe a little too too long but other than that, Still, th I think the song works overall well. I love the call and answer from Leroy when Dave sings and it began to rain and you get that kind of uh, reverb. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Great stuff there. Like, did was that a situation, Steve, where Roy just knew to play that lick or did he have it somewhere else? And you're like, no, I want to cut and paste and put this there because it's a perfect part. Yeah, well, or maybe he played the lick and I said, that's great. Let's do a harmony on that. Let's make that a big moment, yeah. you know. As just part, as I say, he would just jam. He, this was all, you know, he didn't have any parts. The same with Boyd. Roy and Boyd, because the songs had never been played live, they were just 
jamming along. And from their jams and from their soloing, I would, you know, because soloing, if it's on a record, becomes a part. It's not a solo anymore because it's static. So, you know, so I would just look at their soloing and take parts of their soloing and turn them into the parts that they would end up playing on the song. Um, and, the, you know, you know, that was a piece of gold. And I was lucky enough to, 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 to find it, you know, and to help him turn it into a, you know, into a, a 20 carat ring. Okay. or whatever the, the, the term is. <laughs> I get you. You have expressed regret over putting the lovely ladies on the album, but why specifically now, 20 years later, when you go back and listen to it, do you think that it might have been a misstep, a, a, a wrong decision by you there? To, uh, it was... It's, it's, it, they, they still, to me, sound very much overdubbed and out of place. You know, um... Yeah, that's just me. I, I, you know, whereas other other extra additions to the to the songs all seem to you don't question them. You know, you don't say, oh, my God, that's a string quartet for the first time. Or you don't say that's a banjo for the first time. It's just part of the song. But when those girls come in, you go, what the fuck? Personally, I do. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's a good thing. But um, but 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 it was not quite you know when Alanis comes in, or maybe I, I've just got this thing about girls singing on Dave Matthews Band songs, because as I said earlier, I mixed Alanis in a very peculiar way. All right, I had a question about the song "Help Myself." Um, now it it winds up being on before we get to Halloween because actually I've always wondered if if you had wound up including "Help Myself" for the record. I figure the best spot maybe it would have been within the track listing is after stay and before Halloween, maybe. Anyway, um, I know that uh, the band debated giving the song Halloween to the movie makers or whomever for the Scream 2 soundtrack, but in, eventually they up to go for Help Myself, which is really a solid yeah. studio cut, Steve. Uh, what, was, uh, what was the idea behind not including that on the album? Uh, one of my instincts is I wonder if you thought – well, damn, we're at 11 tracks and really 10 full songs, and we're at the 70-minute mark. I don't want to get this thing up to 75 minutes. No. Was that I'll, a- I'll, tell you exact, I'll tell you exactly what, we, what happened. I remember this now. We cut Halloween for the Scream 2 soundtrack, and we all went, fuck, that's brilliant. We don't want to put it that on a soundtrack. We're going to keep that for the album. <laughs> so let's give them something else. What else is there? Well, let's have another go at Help Myself. So, you know, we, we, we threw that down. But, you know, the band in those days, they, you know, they could play a song that they knew really well. We, but, and they could also play songs they didn't know very well. They were at that point in their career where anything, you know, it took a little bit longer. Help Myself, we did and finished in an afternoon. Wow. Okay. You know, be, be, because, because they knew how it went. I mean, I haven't heard that since I recorded it. Yeah. So I've, 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 got no, I've got no idea how that sounds. But that's why we did it. We, we did Halloween, basically, for the movie. But we, everyone went, wow, that's fucking great. That's going to sound great on, you know, that's a heavy song. And the, 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 the Kronos are great on it. And, um, huh. you know, it's, so that was the reason. Okay, interesting. Because I, um, yeah, I'd always wondered about the inclusion of Halloween for the record. Because I... It's the one song um, that ends up on the album that it actually had uh, 
you know, a, a precedence in terms of like the band had played it live and it was from the era when all the other songs that ended up on Under the Table and Crash. And uh, I always thought it was a, a lucky circumstance that, 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 the, that the song ever even ended up on an album because it's not a song that play a lot live a ton um it's the one song that doesn't include lyrics in the uh, in the liner notes on the record because there aren't really there are kind of little set pieces of lyrics but there aren't consistently uh lyrics right. every time they play it. and yeah. i it's steve it's just interesting that uh that it wound up going yeah. that way because i i feel like if if it hadn't been as good of a cut as it was um the song just never winds up obviously making it onto a record to begin with i always felt like they were with you at the right no, period at the right time yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. But in, in, I don't know at what point we thought this is good for the album, whether it was before we put the Kronos on or after Kronos. But it was definitely, you know, we were surprised that, that maybe I was like the guy going, yeah, we need, you know, we need this song with, well, I'm thinking we need a song with Dave singing more on the gruff side. But the last stop was 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 like that. So, yeah. And maybe that wasn't the reason, but I I just felt that the groove on it was so you know just great, you know. Yeah, and it is a, it's 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 a it's a crazy performance overall, and a really interesting cut because do I have this correct in that John Dirth would have done some of the arrangements on this you know the back half of the song when you've got the Kronos coming in, and I believe you hear some of his trumpet on there. Did he help assemble some of the, just the musical arrangement on that track? Well, we, we had lots of different takes with different parts, and I, I sort of blended them all together at the end to make up a, a much bigger thing. But John, John Durth was also very, um, was part of that. But again, it was one of those mixing things that no one heard it like it was at the time. You know, I sort of sculpted it after it was after it was um, after it was recorded. But but yeah, John Durth is you know he's, he's he's a classic. You know, he's a real notes man. You know, he's a he's a he's a he's, he's a great musician and um, and and you know he reads the charts and all that stuff. Well, do you remember if he would so, have flown out to Sausalito and done a lot of that stuff there? Or was he there in yeah, New York? It was done in in Sausalito. Okay. Yeah, he came out and, and and did it there. Yeah, yeah. In in New York was was pretty much all vocals. Maybe there was the odd sax. I seem to remember maybe Leroy, but I don't really think so. It was mainly it was vocals. And I um, see one thing I can say about the album. One thing it is really missing is great backing vocals, and and that was something that I always thought the band were not good at. You know, and Dave, it, it, it slightly got Dave. Um, if you could see me searching just for a while, what's that song? Uh, 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 oh, you're a Jimmy Thing. Jimmy Thing. Jimmy Thing is the only song they've ever done that has decent backing vocals, um, which is very weird because all the backing vocals they ever really do are just very simple thirds or fifths or something. You know, right. they're not. Um, but the harmony on Jimmy thing is just floors me every time. And I think, you know, I remember talking to Dave about that going, well, let's get something like that on the other songs. But but none of their other song, you know, no, there was no one in the band who took that job on. Um, you know, Carter, Carter's got a great voice, but his harmonies are just very, very straight. 
you know, he, yes. he sticks to the to the um, uh, to the, uh, the you know, the, the, the usual ones. And what's great about Dave Matthews Band is that lot, most of their stuff is not the usual, you know, and, and the Jimmy thing harmony is the only time I think in their whole career where they've had a backing vocal that's made me go, wow, that's that's something that gives me chills, you know, which backing vocals can do if they're if they're done very cleverly. You know, but but this album has very few backing vocals, and when they're there, they're not that great. Hmm. All right, we'll get to some. Not of the... that you know, because you've got such a great musical, um, a great musical palette as well. You can argue that you, you, maybe you don't need to be the Beach Boys because the the you know because the music's so good. Yeah, there could be too. I like. Yeah, I get what you're saying there. That's also. Yeah, I mean. It's hard for one band to be every kind of thing, and the Beach Boys didn't have someone who was like Leroy was actually really good at uh, occasionally throwing in, um, uh, you know, kind of a counter harmony against what a band would do on a certain song, and it's the ways that sometimes he and Boyd would play off each other. Like, uh, for yeah, example, that, I th- you, you could argue that the, the the backing vocal job was often done by the by the sax and the and, and the um, yeah. and the bar. Yeah. Um all right. By so, the way, has Boyd has Boyd left the band? He has yeah, I mean we can get into this real quick. Um he has left the band, but the terms under which he has left the group are uncertain. Um he uh he made an announcement on Twitter early in 2018 that he wanted to focus on his family and his health and was not going to be touring with the band this year. Um, it remains unclear on if this is just going to be a one-year thing or anything longer. Um, I would love to know more, right. but uh, but there just hasn't been much more that has come out about that. And d has got this uh. new album coming out here, and they have not done the press circuit cycle yet. So we haven't even heard right. uh, we don't know. Dave himself yeah. be asked about this and, and give any more insight to that. So yeah. um, I must admit, I, well, there, there is one thing I can take a lot of pride on in Dave Matthews band career is that I'm the only producer who's really believed in Boyd. Yeah. And, 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 and I've really felt that with that belief, I've managed to, um, to always find something for him on the songs. Uh, and but 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 Boyd is a very complex character, and if if he's not um, if he's not played right, you know it, it's uh, it, it it's not it doesn't work. You know he he has to really be um, put in the right place. And anyway, I, I won't go into this, but but it's something that you know that all the band would admit this. Well, no, they I would I, say yeah. that I. Yeah, I, I get yeah. that. Um... I, I was going to ask about each of the players and their stuff in the studio at the end of this, mm. so we'll we'll circle back to that for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, couple more quick things on Halloween here. One, it, it's uh, it's an impressive vocal, but it's also one of those songs that, frankly, you know, it, it can just wreck Dave's voice. Do you, did he do this in one take? Yes, it was one one or two takes, and uh, and 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 again, I think that was one of the reasons I was um, I didn't realize it was such an intense vocal until I listened back to it this time because. I actually, in the end of the vocal, I went, oh, my God, did he really? I mean, I felt like I was hoarse listening to him, you know, because yeah. <laughs> my, you know, it, it, but, but um, no, it was an intense vocal. And, it, and it's a very good vocal. Again, probably the way that song turned out was the decision to put it on rather than the song itself, you know. Did you, did you, how did the whole opera almost like you know 
I guess Vincent That's Price vibe. Dave, you know, of this whole I, thing. I love to set the table. So that, that people can be creative. I think that's what, what I'm very good at as a producer. And, and you know, Dave would do that and I would keep it. Or he would do it and I would then tell him to do it again and we'll work on that. You know, I mean, I'm not really, I don't have the ideas. But when people come up with an idea, yeah. I can then take it and grow it. You know, I don't, I don't provide the seed, but I help grow it into a tree. You know, and, and that's, you know, I think that's what... I, Pretty much you could take my my job at its best with them was doing that. Certainly on the songs that were never um, that were never uh, played before. Now, even the songs that were played before, there was a lot of just soloing by the by the violin and by the saxophone. So on most songs, I would, you know, I would because soloing, as I said earlier, soloing on a record becomes a part because it's always the same thing. And so I made sure that that was really memorable. You know, I made sure that the soloing was soloing that you could, you know, you could sing along with, I suppose. All right. Another uh, curiosity with me is uh, you've got this weird sound at the 355 mark of the, of the song. I sent you the email on this. It's got that like oh, toilet flush. Well, no, there's like a toilet flush sound. I've just always wondered what that is. I couldn't even begin to describe it. So it's just one of those... Again, audio flares. Yeah, I've, I've listened to it, and I've listened to it, and I can't... No idea? I can't even hear. I, no, I've got no idea. It was, you know, maybe a toilet flush. Okay. And no, then, I, don't, I don't know. It's, um, it's just, it's just a, it's a really you know interesting what? I, addition. I, shit. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember back. Let, I, I'll go. I'm going to write down the two things I'm going to listen for is... is uh, Edit of stay, and I and I'll let you know because um, I did listen to it both times. But I I was listening to it on my iPhone, and it was if I listen to it on my computer, I can then change. I can go back over the same little bit because on my iPhone I couldn't on right. on tidal I couldn't really uh, do it. So I just waited for the time to come and go. No, I can't hear it. But I will now write toilet flush. <laughs> just, toilet flush it's just one of those uh... alright so the other thing that uh, as, yeah, we tra- as we transition to stone here um, before we get into the song there, so the Kronos comes in I love the transition mm. on this thing it's awesome but in the yeah. left in the left channel like you really gotta listen there is some is that s- mm. yeah mm. yeah what is that I really I'm I'm thinking it, you see, if it was if it was something like it, it sounds to me like Stefan's bass, okay. like one of those, like he would be doing these little things. But if it was Stefan's bass, I would 90 percent certainly have it in the middle. I wouldn't have put it right out on one side. So I'm thinking, could it be someone's breathing? Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I heard it and I was trying to remember what it was. Um, you know, because Boyd very often would go mm, 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 when he was doing his part. Interesting. Um, but you know, you would never really hear it because it was always underneath lots of other big things. But that is very empty, so it might be that because he did play that interest. That's not just Kronos. That is Boyd as well. Halloween was was all Kronos, but 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 um, the Stone was. You know, that was that's what Boyd is great at. 
Yes, it's especially you know, so, yeah, so, once the uh, once the strings kind of just escalate and drop out, and then you have Dave mm. and Tim playing the main riff, and then the band kind of builds. Uh, Steve, the studio track yeah. is tremendous. I mean, the, the song is it's great, this, isn't this it? Song, it, song it is doesn't great. hit you over the head, but it's actually quite romantic. I, I, I think because it doesn't have this huge big drum thing, you know. Because Carter Carter is great because he he rises and falls on the. You know, I just wonder if you came and, uh, you know, and, and, and he really, you know, he 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 has great, you know, sometimes, you know, people people would would say Carter is all technique and no feel. But actually, he, he really has great feel as well as his technique. You can, and, yeah. and on the stone, that, that is uh, that's one of those things. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the patience of this track. And a lot of this record has patience. I I. I I love the buildup of this song before Dave even gets to singing there. And, um, you know, keeping yep. in mind that you're making a record and obviously so often the instinct is like, okay, well, you know, this is great for a live song, but we're in the studio. This is, this is forever. We're trying to preserve a track yeah. here. And yet you little, you really do let this thing get a nice little build before Dave gets going there. Um, take us into your mind of, of, yeah. of building out this track and, and letting it kind well, of, you know, but this uh, was always my thing, you know, it was like, on the first two albums, which were songs they played live, I wanted to retain what had been, you know, I wanted to retain the essence of what they're so great at, which is playing a song for a long time. But I also wanted it to be short enough on an album so it's not just a certain type of crowd, you know, because they're, they're, as songs, they're great songs. So I, 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 But I didn't want to to sort of make the songs maybe like a Glenn Ballard and make them so short that you don't hear anything else, you know? So I, 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 I had to gauge the, the, you know, the art and commerce thing. And, and on this album, actually, when I was looking at the timings of the songs, they are all long pretty much. And um, now some, are, you know, they're all a journey. And, and I agree with you. The outro of stay was a little bit long, but I think most of the other ones I got right because because they do sound good and they and they do have a feel of a journey about them. Um, yeah, the song so is. Yeah, well, 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 yeah. yeah, we would. I, I would do some edits. You know, I mean, I, I, I would. They would honestly let me um, let me chop the songs around how I felt fit. You know, hmm. they, 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 they. It was very much this this great relationship where they were the players and I was the producer. And um, they would just play and I would then chop the tapes around and and play it back to them. And, and I don't think ever someone said, oh, I don't like that. You know, it, it was it was, you know, it was like, well, we've done our job. Now Steve does what he's good at. Yeah. You know, and. Um, you know. Uh, what's well, I'm curious about this track in that like I, I understand that yeah. Dave wrote so many of the lyrics uh, or at least finalized them in New York at overdubs but yes. would you ever like this track to me if, if I'm trying to envision being in the studio with the band laying it down in, in you know late 1997 and there aren't really any set lyrics um, I can I can kind of picture it being like alright this is this is damn long right now. Like you're going to have lyrics to fill yeah, every yeah, one of these yeah. verses and all well, that. That, that, that. You know, but then again, Dave never had any set lyrics. Yeah. Dave never had any set lyrics to anything until he had to record them. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So I he mean, would that, have just that, been, that, that is yeah. a, I mean, maybe he would have certain bits that would always be the same, 
you know, because uh, we're tripping Billy, you know, yeah. obviously that. And, and they, you know, but but a lot of chunks of a lot of songs, he just never bothered to finish. You know, I mean, the, the, the reason the songs have numbers was because someone gave them numbers because Dave couldn't be bothered to tell the archivist what the song was called. Yeah. You know, because it was so it was called number 36. Right. You know, or number whatever, because it was the 36th song in the archivist's list, you know. Um, so, so, uh, hmm. that, that's, you know, I, I mean, as much as I may be trying to, I may be, uh, you know, everyone has all these mysterious, you know, working out, what does it mean? What does it mean? But a lot of the times there was no meaning. It was just a stream of consciousness. Um, and I think, you know, as, as, as I said before about maybe the dreaming tree dying is, is that ability Dave lost at some point you know I mean he certainly lost at some point because you know his his songs are a lot more matter of fact now and they're a lot less dreamlike in their in their sort of David Byrne uh, uh, um, stream stream of consciousness you know right yeah I think the song I think the you song, know but yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the stone. Yeah, the stone is long, and um, I think it's great. It's, I don't think it's too long at all. I'm just saying, yeah, you know, before he would have laid down the lyrics, which I think are damn good on this song. Um, it just it's interesting to see what it would have been, you know, a month before he actually put lyrics to the page yeah. on this, and then what it winds up being, I think, is really just a tremendous lyrical effort, and then just you know the. Uh, what the tone uh, of of the verses from a musical standpoint and then just also uh, a lyrical standpoint versus the chorus, which is just a tremendous little stroll of a chorus. I mean, it, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it took me by surprise when I was listening to it. Right? <laughs> Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It's it's. I think it works. I think it works. It worked really well. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, you, yeah, yeah. It's a, when it's we a transition, Stephen. We're sorry for uh, stepping on you here. When we uh, when we tra- <laughs> when we transition here to the outro of this song, which is which is gorgeous, you put this. It's it's the kind of thing where you hear it but you don't unless you're really listening for it. You put this like massive reverb effect on Carter's floor tom right as. The final, um, the final oh, verse. Oh yes, ends. well that that you know you know what that was. That was um, it's a trick I've done a lot. When I do a when I do an edit, when I cut the drums out, uh, I have to make it sound like that's what they were playing. So I'll I'll he never stopped at that point. That was the whole thing. He just carried on playing. I made it into a stop, and by if I just cut the tape, you would have heard it go like that which is actually sometimes a nice a nice thing but but i wanted it to go into this sort of boom like thing that 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 that, that, that takes you into the next set. that was purely done to cover over an edit <laughs> but it's something i've done when i when i've done instant cuts on on drums you know because if he'd played it that way it would have been maybe wouldn't have been so so interesting but um but i i uh, tinkered with that to make it to make it like that. Huh, interesting. Um, didn't, yeah, didn't realize that. I I love the way it sounds, and that outro is is beautiful. Yeah. Um, all right, Crush. Uh, probably my favorite studio track of the band's career. Here, I think it's the best blend of 
songwriting, uh, studio work, musicianship. Um, I think it's the best love song Dave's ever written. Um, but I, I, I want to go back, and if you remember, like, was this a song that they really were stuck on? And if this is wrong, please clarify for the record. But were they stuck on whether or not to put, include it on the record? And then Stefan comes up with the bass line that kicks off the song. And then they said, okay, all the pieces are in place. Now we're going to include it. Or was it always going to be on there? It was just a matter of just when and how they decided to tinker with it. No, it was always going to be on there. I mean, and, and I remember that as a joke, because we'd done a song called Crash. And I said today, well, well let's call this one Crush. And I said it as a joke. And then Dave took it and started singing Crush. I mean, it was it was so, you know, it was like he didn't know what he was going to sing on it. But then someone said, you know, Dave is so visceral in his, you know, someone says something, he'll go off on it. You know, he'll take that little that little thing and, 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 and run with it. Um, no, I think it's it's one of my uh, when I was listening to it, I. I, I, I'd forgotten a lot of the production things and, and uh, how I'd mixed all the different instruments coming in and out. There's a beautiful section near the end where I made the acoustic guitar really loud and I'd forgotten all about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, it's almost ding, ding, ding. It was really ringing acoustic, very loud. And there's other parts where, you know, Boyd is, um, is playing. I think there's only one bit where, uh, maybe I got a little bit too much of Tim over soloing. I think I, I remember thinking on my notes just now, I thought there's a section at the end where Tim's soloing that maybe I, I had too many things in at the same time. I'd had one too many focus instruments. It's like a painting, isn't it? I mean, maybe I'd painted it a little bit too much. That's ah, so funny but, the way um, you think this, Steve, because I think that that outro that's almost about two minutes long is yeah. really the snapshot of the band at its best. And you've got Tim, who's the leading soloist. And then kind of Leroy's flute is just kind of, you know, wandering around the room around Reynolds' solo, yeah. if you will. And I, and I, and I love the space kind of he puts in between his notes there. I think that sounds great. I, I'm, again, I'm going to disagree with your own assessments and your own work. Okay. And I'm going to say you did All right. Well, that, that's <laughs> good. And, well, I, there's, a, there's a lovely piece of violin where boy goes... You know, and that's great. That was just one of those that, you know, what I love about Boyd, and it's as infuriating as it is beautiful, is the fact that I can literally sit in there with him and he can do 10 takes that are just nowhere near being what it should be, you know. And then take 11 has this beautiful little section in, and you go, okay, he's on it now. But then take 12 is straight back to how it was before you know he's <laughs> it is infuriating but you know my, my job is to is to really pick out these nuggets it's like with Boyd it's honestly his overdubs are like um mining for gold you know I've, I've got this little thing and I'm shaking all the dirt out and occasionally you know I don't want to miss anything so I record everything he does and I just you know and I spend so long um, treating his sound and, and, and placing it in the mix to make it to make it work, you know. But um, but w- with Boyd, you know, you have to think of the sound as much as think of what he's playing. Sometimes, yeah. Um, but no, out. no, thank you. I, 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 you know, when I was listening to, it, I was, yeah, I thought Crush was good. I actually thought Dreaming Tree was a little bit better on the um, 
on the production style, just because yeah. that song that song sort of flays me. But 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 Crush was certainly a um, yeah that was good. Those both that and Dreaming Tree for me are just beautiful. You mentioned the acoustic uh, in the outro, and I'm glad you brought that up because yeah. one curiosity I've always had was you've got Reynolds on the electric throughout this track. So is the acoustic actually? Dave, and the reason why I ask it is, it's some of the uh, some of the chords that are played in that outro are pretty inventive. Like they go along with the tune, um, and uh, so I didn't know if, if Tim had picked up the acoustic at all for mm. this, or if that is all Dave I, that you hear. I would love to. I would love to think it's Dave, but I have a feeling it was Tim because um, you see, I would get Tim to to he would always play all the way through the track two or three times with one sound. And even if I, or maybe only one time with one sound, one or two times, and I might only use 10 seconds of the whole track, but he would, I would never say just, you know, we, or we would never say, I'm going to put this sound in this part. It was always all the way through the song playing, jamming all the way through the song. And I would then, I mean, there's a, there's a section in don't drink the water where there's on one of the verses, I take the banjo out and there's a there's a guitar that envelope filter yeah 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 he played that guitar throughout the whole song but i only chose to use it in certain places that's what i'm trying to give you an idea of at least my um my contribution to this album is is very much that every single person played everything throughout the whole song and then i would go in and sculpt it and 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 you know, I mean, I, I, other than Boyd, I never would tell anyone what to play. I would never tell someone what to play, but I would just take what they played and and work on that, you know, yeah. because they're, they're all master musicians. I mean, Boyd occasionally, but then he was it was very difficult for him to pick up what someone told him. And sometimes I would I would think that other producers would would expect him to know certain things. And he doesn't. Yeah. You know, he doesn't think like other musicians do and 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 if you and if you think he thinks like other musicians it'll freak him out you know because he doesn't understand what you're saying and he'll he'll suddenly panic and 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 it will go you know a semitone out of tune you know whatever um so you you've you've got to really treat boyd well you know did boyd embrace Um, yeah did boyd embrace the uh did he embrace the studio process uh, even though like he might have known some of his limitations overall, did he still uh, go into it with uh, you know generally some optimism and 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 kind of knowing you know that he could uh, Boyd yeah Boyd specifically oh yeah 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 well with me he did because I think he understood that I gave him the love that I gave everybody else yeah. you know I've I've always thought there's two sorts of producers in the world there's the sort of producer who looks at can you hear me? Yeah, or I got have you. I gone? No, I got you. All right. There's the sort of producer who looks at a band and goes, where's the brains? Okay, Dave's the songwriter. I'll go and be his friend and really work with Dave. Now, I'm the sort of producer, and I'm not saying I'm right or wrong or I'm a good guy for doing this, but I'll look at a band and I'll look at see where the insecurities and the weaknesses are. And what I'll do is I'll go to those people and I'll work with them far more than working with the people who have got who've got it, who don't need my help. You know, I'm, I'm you know, I, I don't want to get in 
I don't necessarily need to get inside Dave's head. I need to get inside Boyd's head because Boyd was the one of the band who, you know, was so great on stage. I just had to unlock him in a studio. You know, I mean, Carter's a fucking brilliant drummer. There's, you know, yeah. there, there was never a question of what do I play with Carter? He was, he, he, he knew exactly, you know, he would keep doing it until he, he got it, you know, but Boyd needed, needed me, hmm. you know, so, um, so you understand the difference and, and you know, you can, you can make, you know, there, there are, and Dave's had these producers, the other sort as well, you know, the, the, the people who just care about Dave because they think it's his band. Well, it's not his band. You know, he is the, the he, he's the main songwriter and the, and the, and the singer of the band, but he really feels like it's a band. You know, if it was, if it was called another name rather than Dave Matthews band, then people might think it's a little bit more, you know, then they would think it's as democratic as it actually is. And it is democratic, you know. Yeah. Um, if you understand. I if do. you understand what I, I do. rant I do. was. Yes. Uh, just for contrast, since uh, Boyd's on one side of the stage and Leroy's on the other. Um, yes. What was, uh, what was Leroy's, and we can keep it, you know, to this record in particular, but I guess this is a general question. Just what was Leroy's vibe and work ethic like in the studio when it came to everything in terms of uh, coming up with parts for songs? And if he was, you mentioned earlier that uh, he always had a cell phone on him at this particular stage uh, in his <laughs> life. But, but uh, was, 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 you know, was he the jokester? Was, was he the guy yes. who was sometimes maybe putting in stuff, I'm kind of talking off the top of my head here, but was he sometimes maybe bringing ideas to Dave that wound up being significant parts of a song that have nothing to do with the saxophone? I'm just curious about Leroy, because he no, still remains no, the most no, mysterious no. He, member of the group after all these years. He was the most mysterious member of the group, and, and he was a, you know, he was a very complex character, and when he was on, he was the most beautiful man, one of the most beautiful men I've ever met, you know, his 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 soul and his his personality and he, he was lovely, but you know, he said he occasionally got into dark places and, um, and then he was, you know, you, you, you tried to, to bring back the other guy that the, the, the happy guy. And, and, you know, it's like he didn't exist and you, you, you couldn't get him back, but actually in the studio, he, he loved being in the studio. Funnily enough, I think he really loved it more than live because he loved the, the, the idea of tracking things up. I remember I, you know, I, I told him to, you know, I said, do you have another sax? And he brought in this, the, 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 the baritone for, for the crash album, you know, and, um, and it was great. And we had great fun with that. So he, um, he was, you know, he, um, and, and he's a musician and, 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 and he told me these funny things. He said, whenever he's soloing, he would play cartoon, you know, he, he, he would, he would, a lot of his soloing was just playing other tunes across, you know, like stupid Tom and Jerry or something like that. But because it was against the Dave Matthews band song, no one ever knew what he, that he was, um, that, that he was playing yeah. something crazy, you know, <laughs> that's awesome. But no, he, he, he yeah, yeah. So, so da, 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 you know, he would do the, you know. Uh, which I think was very much an old jazzers trick, you know, of, of playing, you know, I mean, I think on one song he started playing somewhere over the rainbow yes. and it was just beautiful. 
I can't remember what it was. I think it is on the on an album. Yeah, somewhere. He plays it on. Well, he plays it. They've got a very famous live at Red Rocks record, and he plays that yeah. melody on Line Our Graves uh, as their kind of right, imaging. right, right. Okay. And then well, on I this one, he plays. Um, he plays. Uh, uh, fools rush in, can't help falling in love with you at the end of the oh, stone. Oh yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Because uh, yeah, what song is that? Does he play it? On? That's on the end of the stone. Yeah, he just kind of the sne- stone. Yes. yes, yeah, he just sneaks. That's it in right. There. Wise yeah. men say only. Oh, it's so beautiful, you know. And and so his uh, no, he was absolutely great. I mean, oh my God, what a what a lovely, lovely man who who was very, very complex and. Um, and, you know, him and Carter were the, you know, Carter was like his older brother in, in a lot of ways and, and would, you know, look after him when he was feeling bad. And, but also infuriated Carter because Carter knew how great he was and, and the, the fact that he was often underachieving, you know. But in the studio, he was always great. You know, we, we've heard stories of him just standing on stage live and not playing anything well in the studio when he was on he was he was you know full of brimming of ideas and and you know he was he had ideas yeah he would occasionally tell dave what to do but you know dave would give him you know would listen but but dave sort of knew what he had to do you know yeah and um but everyone was very civil with each other, you know, very civil. Just only occasionally would Roy be a bit grumpy. And um, so we, we was decided to let him sit in the corner on his own. <laughs> Good and, digression and there. Um, all right. Dreaming Tree, which I know you love and I do, too. I think I think Crush and Dreaming Tree are uh, are at the mountaintop battling each other out for the, the best studio cut of the band's career here. And yeah. it's the longest track on the album. Um, it's uh, it's got a lot going on here. So I'm just going to give you the floor and just you know talk oh, about the song in whatever I context could, you'd you like. Know, I'd um, well, Greg Howard, I'd never really met, and uh, and I'd only ever worked on the, um, the the Chapman stick with a with a bass player called Tony Levin, who plays with uh, with Peter Gabriel and King Crimson. And Tony Levin as a bass because Tony is a bass player. And when Greg Howard came in and 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 I said, well, you know, show me the other things you can do on a Chapman stick. And he started playing. I went, oh my god, let's just run the tape and just let him play. So um, it was it was beautiful. He did lots of takes, lots of takes because you know it's a very complex song, and um, and I wanted him to to really get inside the music and feel it as well as learn it, you know? So, um, I'm trying to think. It's funny that song, as I say, lyrically, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. I, I feel it may be the last song of, of the, of the abstract Dave that we loved so much on the first two albums, you know? Um, when they recorded this, did you this, was this particular song? I wonder if just if you can remember back, Steve, like when you would have laid this down and thought, okay, this is where I really feel like I've got you know something close to a masterpiece in a record here. Yeah, well, you know what? I'd, I'd love to say yes, but you know, you, you the, the the truth is, and most producers will tell you this, that you put as much effort into stay as you do 
into Dreaming Tree, for instance. You, you just do. It's your job. You know, at the end of the day, you can you can be all mysterious and all very artily talking about this and that. But at the end of the day, you have to make 11 songs to their best potential, you know. And, and when you're so involved in it, you don't really, you know, only only time will show timelessness. And, and when you're doing it, you can you have your instincts of what will make it timeless. But but, you know, you're, you, you, you can't see a timeless object because you need time and, you, you know, you can't finish it after another 20 years. <laughs> so you have to use your instinct to try and make it timeless. Um, and but, you know, so at the time I thought it was a good track. Yes. And I loved it. But 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 really all the tracks you think are good or all the tracks you, you know, well, you don't even think they're good. You just do your job. Yeah. You know, because if, if you think they're good too much, then, you know, there's that thing of you, you, you might stop working on them. You know, you might, you might stop doing your job because you think, oh, it sounds really good. No, what you do is you work until the last possible moment and you, and you, and you try to, you know, you, you try to make it so there's nothing on it you don't like. in a strange way you know that i mean that's the sort of mixing process a little bit more but um but you know a a lot of the songs on this album were 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 mixing songs there were songs that 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 were born from mixing because everything was played all the way through so you know as I, i i i go back and reiterate again you know the sculpting part of my job which is what i pride myself with dave matthews band was um was was always done in the mixing hmm. um but yeah greg howard was beautiful on that song and um yeah i i i, I, I don't have you know it, it doesn't stand out to me though as being you know crush stands out a little bit more than than the dreaming trees just when i hear it now and how it's sort of become this you know because i think for most big heavy dave matthews fans it is one of their favorites isn't it it is it is you you know on the news groups and stuff like that people tend to tend to go towards that song as their most complete uh dave Dave matthews band song Um, but you know yeah and you mentioned uh you mentioned carter and how he basically you know just always knew what to play and what to do i wonder if that's the i love See, I, the thing I love about this this tune is is we get to the outro and it gets to the sort of like ethereal sweep kind of feel, and you get some of Tim's weird guitar sounds in there. You've also got you've got like a sleigh bell effect going on right there. So I, would that have been yeah, something yeah. that Carter just was like, "Listen, this is going to fit the song," or did you potentially say, "Let's let's"? I know oh. you would have mixed it in regardless, but that's just one yeah, of those yeah, yeah, small yeah, yeah. No, things. No, 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 I, I can't remember it. who to say. Uh Take me. It's under that bit, right? Yeah, um, and then even after that, you just you kind of get this 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 uh, this chucking sleigh bell effect that's just and just it's there just enough and kind of just adds to the overall. Yeah, yeah. Tone I mean, it. to be honest, that may well have been. That's the sort of thing Leroy might have done. You know that 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 could be one of those crazy things Leroy would say sleigh bell on here. Huh. Um. I. I. To be honest, I cannot say, but you know, as Leroy is not around, let's give it to him. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> all good by me. Um, all right, so we move yeah. on to we move on to Pig, and you know there are there are three songs on this record that have just uh, a, a, a generally you know a cheerier side than than not, and that's Rapunzel Stay, and then and then Pig is the third one there, um, and this one Which is, is probably of the, of the three. It's, it, 
of the you know i think the whole song is a little bit long it's a little bit too jammy for my liking you know okay. but it's you know it's got um i don't, don't burn the day yeah it's 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 it's, it's not my favorite you know okay. it's not my favorite lyric of dave's um and this song had been played live earlier, hadn't it? Yes, but in a different incarnation. So they they right. built it. They had built it out more for the studio and for the betterment of the song. Yeah. I, I believe. Uh, yeah, it, I mean it's all right. It's probably my my least well, you know, stay I like because you know, barring the the obvious thing that I've mentioned earlier, you know, I I, I do like stay because it is the happy song. Uh, Pig doesn't. I mean, it's good. You know, hey, we're talking about, you know, a, a classic album. So if there's one song on a classic album that it's still really great. But if there was a song for me that I would say this is something that's not quite um, as good as the others, it would be Pig, probably. Here's why I like Pig um, so much, because you get a lot out of Boyd on this track, Steve. I mean, he's right yeah. there at the top of it and he sounds really good. Yeah. And you've got... You've got, uh, I think you've got Boyd a little higher in the mix than Roy, but they're both kind of playing around Dave's vocal, and it's a really great sound, and you just don't have that, you don't have that anywhere else on the record, and I really like the way that, that this, was yeah. this piece was composed by the band and mixed by you, because you just don't have all five instruments going around throughout the entire song. You get that here with Pig, and it's, it's sort of a daring gambit, but I think it pays off pretty well here, and you, okay. you tapped well, into Boyd big time. Yeah, because a, a lot of Boyd's parts on the other songs were these sort of droney things in the background and this wasn't this was more boy playing right so um yeah well thank you you know that, that that's good i'm it's funny after all this talking i i do actually need to listen to it again tonight <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's great though and then we'll then, then we'll then we'll start the interview again yeah um yeah <laughs> oh man uh, uh all right let's let's move on to the final track here before we wrap up thoughts on the album that's and that is spoon which is you got you have great uh call and answers with boyd and roy you've got a, a yeah. fairly abstract uh but yet visual lyric from dave which i think is terrific and then you you bring back bela you bring back alanis for a verse there which i yeah. think is an awesome I, her verse is, is her, her verse is lovely oh it's just it's it, just it, tremendous it's, yeah. um the decision to put this as the closing track, um, and get into any details within the song that you'd like overall, but yeah. uh, but with this, was this a no-brainer in terms of ending the album so. when you heard it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I I I think so. It was. Um, I mean, I suppose a shorter album could have ended with Pig. You know, if if there was a t if it was a ten-song album, you could have ended it with Pig. But eleven-song album, um, no, Spoon is 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 is, yeah. And, and the, and the lyric, I think the lyric was actually a little bit more formed before we went to the studio. I seem to remember Dave had this lyric more. It, it wasn't one of those ones he had to write as he just before he sung it. You know, um, I think he had this. I, um, I think I, you're right, because I think they played it. He had played it once live uh, an acoustic setting before they actually went to record the album. Right. So you're probably right. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, one of the difficult things is to take um, a Dave real slow acoustic song and turn it into a band song. And I and I think we did it really well. We did it. This took a little bit more time to record than some of the others, you know, because it is a slow song and and the 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 
oh, that 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 bass riff at the front was actually really good. Dong dong dong. That um, yeah, it, it it did. You know, it could have been not as good as it was. That song uh, it could have been like a che- a little cheesy, and uh, and I think I managed to bypass the cheesiness on 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 that song Um, yeah i've got a theory on this tune steve um i think that you guys nailed this so perfectly in the studio the band's only played it i want to say maybe 20 times live ever i i think they they are uh not intimidated but it was done so correctly uh in the studio that they know they can't this is like with most of their tunes, they don't really care about that kind of thing. They don't care about, like, it's not going to sound live like it sounds on the record. But I think this one is so yeah. good um, that you the, it's just hard to get as much out of this song in a live setting versus what you did on the on the record. Because, I mean, this outro is just is just tremendous. I mean, it it is all of them. Well, it really grow, grows, doesn't it? It, it um... grows. You've got Leroy playing off of Alanis singing in the high register yeah. there. Oh, it's just it's tremendous. It's it's great. Um, yeah, yeah. Thank you. It's um, I'm I'm very proud of that actually. Because as, as I say, it it felt like it could have gone a bad way, and it and it actually ended up pretty cool. You know, it it turned into a cool song. Your idea or Dave's and, to have Alana sing a verse there? I think it was Dave's idea. Man, that's a good one. I, I I think it was always. I think that was the song that we always wanted her for. I think because Dave had written this before, and he wanted to have her on it um and then you know i got her to do all this the the weird screams and all that stuff you know just just so we had it so when mixing i could i could use it or not Mm -hmm. um but it mainly what she came in was to do that verse okay um Um, uh, and then you end the you end the the record with uh the last stop reprise and um it's a great way of wrapping up the album then you you know you get a little bit of this of this of this song at the end of the last stop but um here i believe it's just dave tim and bela that are playing uh what was the creative decision to to do this because this wasn't an uncommon thing particularly in the 90s and that is Put a, put a little something at the end of a CD, thirty seconds after the last song ends. But normally, what happens, Steve? It was either a joke song or it was just a whatever. Here, you actually have a thematic sh- uh, thread that's connected yeah. to the to the rest of the album. Um, well, yeah, thank you. I mean, we I think we put number 34, 34 seconds at the end of right. um, Under the Table and Dreaming, right? Yes. Did we do that? The, thir- the 34th yeah, track. Th- and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thirty fourth track, something yeah. like that. Yeah. No, no, I, I love doing all these things. Um, it, it's, you know, I, I, I love adding sort of mysterious little signposts and, 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 and putting, you know, and, and, and help it. You know, you take you, you want to take the fans on a journey. And, um, and I think at the end of the last stop, I, I, at various times I'd, I'd experimented with different mixing. And, and, I, and I like the idea and, and I had a good combination. So what is the the balance here? Is the banjo and Tim and Dave? I'm pretty I sure it's just those three acoustic instruments and then Dave singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I remember thinking that was a good thing, but it didn't sound right to have it like that in the last stop. So it wasn't played differently. It was just mixed differently. You know, they didn't go in and play that piece. I just took. I just went and remixed that outro mm. with a different balance between the instruments. 
because I remember thinking, listening to that balance, going, oh, that's really beautiful. And um, and then when it came to putting it on the album, we thought, oh, let's, you know, let's add just this little thing at the end because it was a nice balance of those instruments. Whereas actually on the last stop, and I think on, you know, on some of the other songs, I'd actually done that as well. I'd, you know, like on Stone and um, and Halloween, I I I made those sort of dreamy outros. So I think on this one, I didn't have the dreamy out. Well, I I can't remember, but I but I remember thinking, but 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 obviously, it, it I, I remember it's it wasn't recorded separately. It was just it was the end of you know, it was just a different mix of the outro of the last stop. And then at the end of this, you've got some sort of weird sped up carnival type noise i've always thought it was maybe the last stop at like four speed played backward or something do you remember what you would have done to the tape to make that noise Ugh. no but uh you I, did hear it, this though I when think... you listen right at the very very yeah, end of I, the song yeah but I, th- I, th- I thought it could have been tim just doing some crazy noises okay um or you know i don't know and i i i it, it, Perhaps it was just something that wasn't used in the original mix that I'd, I'd put in and, and thought it sounded good, you know. Sometimes As I say, it was, yeah. it was just, you know, I, I was just um, just being arty. Yeah, sometimes it's better to leave you know. things as a mystery. And on the topic of mystery, uh, of obviously we need to just uh, address the Mackhead thing here real quick because we're in the twentieth. <laughs> obviously, we're in the twentieth anniversary year. At some point, I think the fan base is expecting that the the band's management will release a vinyl pressing of this album and, and any sort of goodies. And I think they're basically hoping, praying, banking on the fact that Mackhead will finally uh, get uh, unveiled. And I know you've talked about this before, and you've said it sounds like a McCartney Radiohead song, and that's why it was titled that way. Um, but yes. just anything else you remember about the tune in terms of, like, did it have fully fleshed verses and choruses no. and bridges? No, 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 no. no. It, it wasn't. It, 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 had, it had Dave's um, scat vocal, mm-hmm. uh, and, it, um, and that, it was very unformed. I think if we'd given it more time, it could have turned into a classic song, but we didn't. Um, and it was it was just one of the things that was left behind. Now, you know, um, and, you know, when I moved to Indonesia, I, I think I probably put my cassette of it in storage and I've just stopped paying my storage. Okay. So yeah, someone might find it on Storage Wars. Literally, I've let I've, because the things I've got in storage, once I took my Grammys out of the storage, I got my son to go and pick out my Grammys from my storage in L.A. Everything else, I thought, there's nothing there worth. I couldn't remember what was there. I was paying 250 bucks a month for storage. And I went, I don't want to do this. You know, I don't know what's in there. I'm just going to not pay it. So it will be on Storage Wars. So someone might be able to find a cassette of Machead on Storage you know, Storage Wars, that TV show? Yes, I'm aware of what you're talking about, Steve. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. But, I, hold so on, I, I got a couple more questions here. Do you, do you remember if any, like, okay. if, if any sax or, or any violin would have laid, been laid down, or is this just like a scratch vocal, scratch guitar, bass, and drums kind of deal? I it would have been bass uh, two. There would have been a, a – well, the guitar, bass, and drums would have been fine. There, there might have been – um, some jamming of violin and and sax, yeah, okay. but 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 not not proper parts. No, we never we never did due process in terms of um, 
you know, of what we did on all the other songs. That's why it wasn't finished. This it, song, it, uh, though, it carry. It, I think just because the very description of it being sort of a combination of McCartney and Radiohead, and it comes at a time when Radiohead's had made OK Computer, which I yeah. think is their best record. It just, oh, obviously, it, it has been built up to bigger than what it actually is, and if we ever get to hear it, I think uh, its reputation will drop significantly, but this has become yeah. the white whale of the fan base. <laughs> I will never say another word about it. Oh boy! Um, but actually, you know, Radiohead was was we were listening to OK Computer a lot during that album. It was um, it was a you know, it was very much a sort of uh, a, a, an influence a little bit on me actually. But you know, you say it is their best album for sure. But they did. Have you heard their version of a not their version? Their song called Spectre. Yeah. Oh my God! Tremendous. I, it's fucking brilliant. This is the song they wrote for the movie. Spectre. And they didn't want, and the studio and didn't want it. They didn't want it. And the band released it themselves. It is what I think it's, it's as good as anything on okay computer. It's just floors me every, and the, the a string arrangement on it is so beautiful. Anyway, that's a radio head thing, Dig it. but um, in general, no, they're crap now. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, any other, okay. So the other on the Wikipedia page for before these credit streets, it also lists, Number 40 and get in line as songs that were tried in the studio and not used. I, when we spoke about Crash, you had mentioned to me that you believe that you did get in line for the Crash sessions, but do you, can you bring any sort of clarity? Yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I do remember, I think, mate, I, I don't remember number 40 or, or get in line. I mean, I remember get in line the song, I don't remember number 40 the song so much. Okay. But um, maybe we just, you know, Maybe someone said, let's just have one go at it. But it, um, any more than half an hour, I'd be surprised. You know, there, there certainly wasn't a take of it that we that we deemed even we, we didn't even, you know, Mackhead, we did go down that road a little bit more. But um, but no, the, uh, guessing like, no, that song. Yeah, it never really, we never really got it. So, would it be um, fair to say, according to your memory then, that the only song that really got some decent run that didn't make the record would be, well, one, Help Myself Counts, obviously, and then Mackhead, but yeah. really, from what you can remember then, Get In Line and 40, they might have been quick takes, but nothing that was, you know, you didn't dedicate yeah, the nothing, entire Yeah, nothing that okay. was really worth, you know, there, 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 there's not a, I don't think okay. there was would be a gem in there I, I i really tried certainly on this album not to let anything go you know i was always very vigilant on on making sure that when there was something great i i i managed to 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 keep it you know and and yeah i mean all of this just comes from fear really you know because I, I i never want to miss something <laughs> i get you uh you know. were you in the room but, when the title for the album was decided do you remember? No, and it it was about six months before I could even remember the fucking title. I go, I, yeah, I produced the new Dave Matthews Band album, but in the the because I don't think I'd ever heard the those four words together before these crowded streets, and I didn't even and I'd forgotten that he that it was even a lyric, you know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the album was out, and I still couldn't remember the name of the album. No, I wasn't around when the album was named. That was all Dave. Okay. Um, do you remember what a bit what would have been the the final song that you finished? Like when the record was finished, what was the final song that you would have put the most significant work into to kind of complete it? Um, I've always been curious about that. 
Well, I, I, I seem to remember I, I worked on this album chronologically. I actually, we mixed each song in order. I mean, because it was, there were, you know, this is a, one of the things with the streaming that can sometimes be a problem. When I make the album, I do a nice crossfade, you know, but when on the streaming, you hear a, a, a little gap of silence when it changes from one song to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And, and I, that, that annoyed me when I was listening to the album because, but I, I, I think I did it all in order because I, I wanted to, I wanted this journey and I, and I wanted to be able to hear it from the beginning. So, and I kept adding another song on going, oh yeah, this is, this is good here. And then when the, you know, something, we got these great lucky things when we went from the end of the stone in uh, end of Halloween into the stone, for instance, it was like this magical moment because you, you, oh my, you know, we'd never heard those two songs next to each other. And the way the two keys worked was just perfect, you know, so that had to go. So I think I may have worked on a sort of blocks of two or blocks of three songs and, and just that made putting them all in order a little bit easier, you know, Hmm. and, um, but, you know, always thinking of the running order very early on because, you know, that's what a classic album should be for me. You know, like the, 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 the sequencing has to be something that, that really works. And, and those magic moments when one song goes into another. And I think we have many of those magic moments on this album, you know, probably more than any other album I've made where the end of one song into the next one is just breathtaking. And any album you ever made, because I was going to add, we're on the same wavelength yeah. here, because you have, uh, you know, you've had tremendous work over the years. I was going to ask you where this record personally, uh, I know these are all your children, but just in terms yeah. of, if you if you look at the work and the results, where this would match up, um, or similarly with other records, and if it would be near the very, very top of, uh, yeah. what, 50 plus? No, it, it would be. It would be near the top because, you know, I, I got a great band at a great time, and I was, you know, it, it was just lots of great things happening at the same time because we all knew each other, but we weren't so familiar with each other that we were contemptible with each other. You know, that that happened a little bit more, you know, all the positive things that happened on this album went negative for the next sessions. And I had warned everybody. I had absolutely warned everybody of what could happen. Um, but they carried on anyway. And I was the one who took, who ultimately was the fall guy, even though I was the one who said, beware, beware, you know, and, um, and I was proved right even though I was the one who was, was, was ultimately fired, which is fine now, you know, but at the time I was very, very, very upset that, yeah. um, that I'd been, uh, I'd, I'd basically been, there was a mutiny behind my back, you know, and, um, yeah. We will, we will, uh, we will, we definitely do that. We will definitely that, talk that, about that, this. That's a much more of a, that's much more of a somber story. It will be, but it will be a. Uh, oh, it will be fascinating as well. It will be I, a fascinating I will story. Be, I will be eager to talk to you about that, and we'll get that done in the in the coming months. And then, uh, well, listen, I appreciate you have done just incredible here. <laughs> I mean, I have I have taken way too much of your time, but I, listen, no, this, it's, is, this is always this is fun. I just wish I, you know, I wish I had a better memory. <laughs> 
Okay, there we have it, Steve Lillywhite, and thanks again to him. He was marvelous for giving me so much of his time, uh, and clearly the record means so much to him as it does to so many people that uh, follow this band and are big fans, or at one time were huge fans, and, and as I kind of mentioned in my Relics piece, and if you have not read it yet, I've got a piece up at relics.com that's a, a long retrospective on, on this album and, and what it means. I mean, the record itself is imperative to the band's legacy and it was the album that even though it didn't sell as well as under the table and crash it still vaulted them to phenomenon status for me personally it's the album that sent me over the edge in terms of hardcore dmb fandom it is my favorite record of all time and it is the one album that i can i have the most vivid memory still of of purchasing it of listening to it and really slipping on down the rabbit hole with this group after getting before these crowded streets and uh, it, it showed what the band was capable of, even though in so many instances in the years since, the band has only shown teases or flashes of returning to a lot of the aesthetic, the sound, the ambition of what before these crowded streets was. So thank you again to Steve. And yes, we will get that Lily White Sessions discussion done. I will do it in podcast form. I don't know when that's going to be. I would think slash hope I'll try and get that done before 2018 is finished, but we'll just we'll take it as it goes. And I know that's something that a lot of fans are going to want to listen to because there's so much uh, unknowns and uncertainty around what exactly went wrong. The band has been so mum on that topic over the years. Steve can give you his perspective on it, and clearly he is eager to do so. So thanks again for listening. Again, I'm Matt Norlander. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norlander if you aren't already. Please rate and subscribe to the Records and Rest podcast in iTunes if you haven't. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.